We're back. Week three of our series, um, reclaiming what it means to be the, be the church. You know, when it comes to what Scripture says about the church, um, what it means to be the church, we're trying to reclaim that so that we can live it out. We've, we've discussed two points so far. The first one was fear God, um, and the, the, the next one was, was follow Jesus. And, and the idea is that there's so many people on earth, so many people have such a small view of who God is that they don't find a need to fear God. And, and the, the follow-up thing, the, the next lesson, was kind of about on top of that, not only is there such a small view of who God is, and, and therefore a lack of, of fearing him, of respect, and also just fear, we talked about that, on top of that, there's millions of people who claim to be Christians, who claim to follow Jesus, yet their lives look nothing like Jesus, or look nothing like what Jesus said our lives should look like. And so that's an issue. And so today we move into the third part of our series, um, the Holy Spirit, which is our next brick. All the way to probably right there. Um, but tonight's the conversation is basically what should we kind of understand about the Holy Spirit and, and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives when it comes to being the church, okay? So perhaps one of the biggest concerns when it comes to the Holy Spirit is that the church and their relationship with the Holy Spirit appears to lack in today, in, in, our, in our churches today. It seems to be ignored and forgotten, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not all the time, not every church, not every person, but overall. I mean, when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, and you see the Holy Spirit show up, um, the Holy Spirit was supposed to change everything. It's supposed to change everything. There would be this gathering of people. They would call themselves Christians. And, and there was this supernatural element about how they lived and what was going on around them, even though they lived in difficult circumstances. And it, and it, and it, it was out there. And you walk by, you would notice something different. A power that was so obvious and, it was, and so out there, it was transformative just by watching from a distance. But today in our churches around us, and sometimes even in our own lives, can you really tell the difference? When you look at a person who claims to be a Christian, and then you look at somebody who's anti-God, can you really tell a difference based on the way they're living? Sometimes. Sometimes. And when believers gather together for what we call church, do you really see, see something supernatural at work? Um, when Jesus was on earth, he was getting ready to die. He was um, getting ready to leave, uh, you know, to rise again and then, and then go back to heaven. Um, and he started talking to his disciples and, and they started kind of freaking out. You know, it says at the end of verse 6 there that, that their hearts were filled with sorrow. They, they, they didn't want that to happen. But Jesus actually said, don't worry about it because actually the fact that I'm leaving is better. It's more beneficial for you if I leave, is what he was saying. Because if I don't leave, you're not going to get what's coming. And there's something better than me being here that is coming. And the disciples, imagine being a disciple and you hear those words and you're like, 
this is the guy I hung out with for the last three years. I saw him heal people. Well, I saw him raise a guy from the dead. I saw him rise from the dead. And he is saying that there is something better than walking next to him hand in hand on earth. That's what Jesus was saying, is there is something better coming than him remaining there with them. They, and it makes sense that they panicked a bit because what is better than walking hand in hand with the creator of everything, with the life giver himself? And Jesus is saying that there's something better. And in fact, later, Jesus uh, dies, he rises from the grave, he gathers his disciples together, and they're in awe. They're, they're like freaking out in, in a positive way, like they're excited he's back. But he says, wait. He tells them to wait. He says, as for you, stay in this city. Stay in this city. Don't go anywhere just yet. Just stay here until you are empowered from on high, is what he tells them. Just wait because the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and going to empower you. You'll receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. So don't go out and try to change things. Don't go out yet and try to impact the world yourselves because you're just going to mess it up. Wait until you've been equipped. Wait until you've been encouraged. Wait until you've been empowered. So Jesus not only says that there's something better coming, but he's saying, hey, wait where you're at until the spirits come to you because you're not ready yet. And then it says that they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olive Grove, all that. Anyway, they returned to Jerusalem, um, and it was all these people. So you had all the disciples, uh, all 11 in this instance, uh, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, a different Judas, the good Judas. Um, there was two Judases. It's, the Bible names are complicated. They're either really hard to say, or they just all are named John or something. Um, and it, what's kind of cool is not only were all the disciples there, but it says that they were there in one mind, in prayer, together with the women, the women disciples of Jesus, like the, 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 those that followed Jesus, the women that followed Jesus, and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus and his family. Or Jesus wasn't there, but his family was there. Well, I guess Jesus, well, he, he wasn't there because he had already ascended. I just got to get my story straight. Um, have you ever thought about the brothers of Jesus, the brothers and sisters of Jesus? He at least had four brothers and at least two sisters. Isn't that interesting? Yep. There's one scripture that kind of gives it away. Yep. I don't know it off the top of my head. But the reason I can confidently say that is because I read it like last, uh, yesterday pretty much or, or last week. Susan Woodard does these Bible studies that are awesome. And if you ever get the chance, go to them. Um, she's doing one. And you, right now is a perfect time to c- jump in Tuesday night at... 630. Um, no, a different reason. But um, inst- I, I didn't, yeah, I couldn't go to that, so I went to the study instead um, this week. But um, she's actually going over two of Jesus' brothers that actually wrote parts of the Bible. Jude is one of them, the book of Jude. I read a whole Bible of the book of the Bible this week. It's also one of the shortest in the, it's only one chapter. Um but anyway, I'm just messing. But James was the other one. Anyway, it's just really interesting. So they're there. They're all praying because Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem um, until the Holy Spirit comes. And so they're just praying, and, and, and they're, they're, they're there together. They're waiting for days and days and days, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly one day, 
when, when the day of Pentecost, a, a Jewish holiday, arrived, they were all together in one place, and then all of a sudden, man, things go crazy. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, so it's just this crazy moment. Jesus goes to heaven, but right before he leaves, he says, don't do anything yet. Y'all just hang out, wait. And they're just there praying. They're there hanging out together, having fellowship. I'm sure they still ate and drank Dr. Pepper like all good Christians do. Um, <laughs> drank. I said ink. I don't know what I said. Anyway, um, it's the same thing. You need to eat Dr. Pepper too. That's the only thing. But, so they're there, and then all of a sudden there's this hurricane type of sound that sweeps in um, through the room, fires coming down, landing on them, like this crazy experience. And then they walk outside, and there's a ton of people in town because of this holiday, and they're just talking, and they're able to speak in these other people's languages from these other nations, and these people are like, wait, I understand you. And it's an absolute just miracle of what's going on here, of, of, of just the Holy Spirit working through these people. And it says, uh, fear came on every soul that these things started to happen. The fear of God was there, and also these miracles and these, these, these wonders are being performed. Um, and, and not only that, they're growing, and these people, they're bonding together. It says, they all, uh, all who believed were in the same place, had everything in common. Um, they began selling their possessions and property, distributing these things to all to the degree that anybody had a need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting with one purpose in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house. They were eating their food with joy and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding every day to the total of those who were being saved. So, man, this is, this is, awesome. this is the kind of church I want to be a part of. Maybe you too, where things are, are just awesome. They're positive. They're growing. They're connecting. They're able to help each other when each other needs something or is hurting or whatever. And they're winning other people over. And then you have fire coming down and everything, which is cool, I think. I like fire. But you see, they had this kind of supernatural love for each other. Um, And people were drawn to this. They were drawn to these gatherings because, man, there was this power there. Everyone united, praising, friendly, helping one another, growing the group and more. That's what is attracting people. But now it seems like, you know, jump ahead a couple thousand years to now and what do we sometimes make out church to be? Well, we show up and we go and we have Bible study and we're going to be in this passage today and we'll pray together. Then we're going to go to service. Here's a bulletin. You know, we're going to sing two songs and the deacon's going to read a verse and we're going to sing another song. Then we're hopefully going to get a good sermon depending on who's preaching. And, you know, if the youth pastor's preaching, we'll just lower the bar a little bit and we'll have an invitation and some people will pray at the altar and we'll just be moved. Like, that's cool. And then we go home and maybe do it again next week. And we just create this, this rhythm and habit. And there's nothing wrong with the rhythm and the habit. There's nothing wrong with anything that we do. But sometimes it's like, where's the power? If the Holy Spirit was supposed to change everything, and there's this miraculous instance where thousands of people are coming to Jesus, 
and the church is just growing from there, where's the power today? Why does it feel so different from here to here? From the text to where we're at today, there's a quote somebody said that the church today is neither super nor natural. That everything is predictable, it's expected, and there's some truth to that sometimes. That even I, as, as a leader in the church, as a pastor, can, can predict some things like, oh, the message, I, I, you know, this message is going to be a good one. Oh, the people, oh man, that, that's what this message is about. It's going to step on some toes. Some people are going to be upset. I can already tell you that. Or, man, the band's going to play that song. Man, you're going to see hands raised for that one, and people are really going to get into it. Oh, you're going to play this song. There's going to be a disconnect there. Or, or because of this transition, you don't have a good transition, there's going to be a disconnect. And, and like, it's stuff you can study if you go into a profession like mine. And it's just interesting. Again, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but it can leave us with the thought, is this the way it was supposed to happen? When the Holy Spirit came and did its thing, is this the way it was supposed to happen? And Jesus said that there's a power, a supernatural power that comes from the Spirit. Are you going to receive that power? It was happening. It was seen. It was noticed. And, you know, there's instances, you know, when, when Peter and John are sharing the gospel, sharing it to people, that, that people are amazed by it. They noticed the boldness of Peter and John. They understood that they were uneducated and untrained, and they were astonished. Because, like, those are just regular guys. Yet they're so bold, they're so confident in their Savior, Jesus. It was noticed, it was seen, it was happening. And when Jesus said that that power would come upon them, it it really looked like it came upon them. So why is it that in the church today, sometimes so many people are weak, defeated, or or we get so insecure because we look at ourselves rather than God? It doesn't make sense. Imagine with me, the strongest person in the world. I know you might initially think that's me, but it's not. Um, you don't have to be so honest. Um, yeah, the rock, yeah. Um, so just imagine the strongest person in the world, like somebody that can lift a 1,000 pounds, that, can, uh, that wins all the strongman compos- competition. There is a guy that can lift a 1,000 pounds. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just crazy. Um, but, yeah, it's you, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just this massive guy, okay? And then he's married to uh, uh, somebody, and this wife, she's extremely strong, too. The strongest woman in the world, okay? She can, look, she can lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds as well. Probably outdo the man, because that's what girls like to do, is outdo us guys. Um, right? right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So imagine this couple, and then imagine what their kid looks like. Wouldn't it be weird if their kid is growing up and just is super scrawny? I'm not saying there's a problem with that. But, but you have these two people standing, and, and imagine their kid grows up and just, you know, super scrawny, super weak. Compared, it, it, you know, it, it's just kind of a little different, right? Um, and the reason I bring that up is because sometimes it feels like that's what we do with the church. The spirit comes in power and comes in strength, and then we say, you know, welcome to church. Here's a bulletin, you know. Um, and we take some of the power away 
he puts this power in us and we respond with, with an attendance sheet. You know, an atten- I'm going to attend this Sunday and maybe I'll attend again next Sunday or oh, if I'm really, really spirit-filled, I might come Wednesday too or something like that. Listen, let, let, let me be real for a second. I get intimidated. I get insecure when I look at our group. And I'm like, man, how can I help disciple y'all, help y'all become the best men and women of God that you can be and find God's calling for you that, that you know, whatever it may be, it's intimidating. How can I lead these adults? These adults that are all slightly, um, I got to word this carefully, uh, but just slightly more mature than me. Um, does that work? They're elders. Uh, I don't know what words. There's no way good, good, good way of saying somebody's old. Some of them don't like that. <laughs> that means they're really old. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So, but how am I supposed to lead these adults when, when they have lives of their own, kids of their own, responsibilities of their own, callings of their own? Man, it, it's hard. Or, or when I look out at the world and the people I run into, man, how am I supposed to help change their mindset to help them understand who God is, especially when they're anti-God and when, they're, when they are anti the morals that God has set for us and called us to? It can be really intimidating, especially when I'm trying to do it out of my own strength. And that's the point. We don't have to. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to, but not to do it out of our own strength. That's why Jesus says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit. He is going to convict the world of their sin. He is going to convict the world of, their righteous, of righteousness and judgment. It says, concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going away to the Father and you will see me no more. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. This is why he sent his spirit. It's because it's about power, the power that we don't have in ourselves. And just like I shared on Sunday morning, if you were here and I got the opportunity to preach, um, Jesus said, I am building my church that it's happening and not even the gates of hell or Hades or whatever you want to call it, any darkness, any power can overcome it. It's going to happen. I'm making that promise, that declaration, and it began right then and there. Jesus is building his church. Where are you going to stand with that? That's the follow-up question I have to ask myself every time that I read that. Am I going to be part of that? Imagine your, your or, or think about your family gatherings, whether it's a small, you know, you're at a meal um, and your, your brothers are in town. Yeah, just think about that. Or it's a family reunion. How many of y'all have like family reunions that you have to go to, right? Um, yeah, we have, we have a couple as well. Um, on my dad's side, we have reunions every Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. On my mom's side, there's always one in October. And there's another one that we hardly ever go to. Um, that's like the extended family. We really don't talk to them. But no, the thing about a family gathering is when you show up, here's how it works, right? You know, step one, you, you meet everybody. And then, uh, you know, the next thing on the order is uh, we're going to play games. And then the next thing, you know, there's an order of service, right? At your family gatherings? No, they're chaotic, right? You never know what to expect. It's not predictable. So think about your family gatherings and then think about the church and maybe that's the way the church was supposed to be. Is so often we have 
you know, we, we feel like we have to organize everything and have the control over it and, and put it all together. But in Scripture, um, it was very, man, loose. Very uh, all over the place. They had structure. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everything we do is wrong because we're probably going to keep doing a lot of the things that we do. But when you look at Scripture, you have a bunch of people coming together and they're so tight. They're so bonded together. They're so connected that the world would look at them and be like, how? Why? What? How can they get along? Because you put your family in a room, how long can you get all, all get along, right? A, a, a minute tops. <laughs> um, what? Not at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not at all. There's always that uncle that... For, for Stormy's family, she has the story of, I think the last time they really got together, it was the last time because a fight broke out between her dad and her uncle. Is that right? Yeah. Um, who are both back in town and possibly living together again, which cracks us up. But that's, that's family. That, you know, when you get together with people, usually it doesn't last long until something breaks out. But the church and Scripture showed something different. That the Spirit was able not only to give this church power to reach people, but to connect them in a way that they've never been connected before. Where there wasn't this bitterness towards, or this hatred or these grudges or these pointless arguments all the time. How can they gather like that and get along? But the Spirit would bring that harmony. And see, that's what the Spirit wants to do with us. It's supernatural. It's something that just happened to them as they followed Jesus. As they submitted to Jesus, as they su- submitted to the Spirit, unity just takes place. Just like, how, how many of y'all have been surfing before, boogie boarding or anything like that? A few of y'all maybe. So the whole, the whole idea of surfing is you go out there and you wait. You can't make the wave happen. You can't control when it comes and you don't know when it comes. You can just start seeing it coming. And then you get on the front of it and you ride it. And that's how you start surfing. That's, that's how you get that power to go. You can't do anything else. You can paddle but that's not going to be near as fast or near as helpful as riding that wave. The same with God's Spirit. It comes, and we ride it. We let it drive us. We don't try to control it or, 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 or guide it ourselves. It's a power of its own, and that's what we see in the book of Acts. is the Spirit coming in power, a wave of God's power, and everybody's jumping on it. And that's what God wants today. It wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. It's for today, the here and the now. The Holy Spirit wants to, lead, leads, wants to lead us, and he wants to lead you, to lead you into something deeper. But the thing is, you, you have to buy into it. You have to believe. You have to trust. You have to follow. It starts with fearing God and and comes to following Jesus and then he offers us and gives us the Spirit and you have to give in. Again, there's this problem. Most people don't even believe it's possible. That it's possible for the world to come to Christ. That it's possible for a group of people to get along. Some people don't believe that the same Holy Spirit exists today 
that did back then, that the same Holy Spirit wants to do this kind of thing in their own lives. Do you believe it? Paul wrote how, how God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, yet so often we seem to live in fear. But that's not the spirit he gave us, but one of power, of love, and wisdom, sound judgment, to be able to walk to Jesus and to walk man, on that path that Jesus has set before us. He wants to create this gathering today where he works so powerfully, where we would actually experience the power and, and recognize that there's a powerful God up there that we can naturally just, just fear him and follow him. And I don't know about you, but doesn't your soul long for this kind of gathering of people where the Holy, people, where the Holy Spirit leads us into these ways of Jesus? And as we follow these ways, that Jesus has set before us, we find new life and we find new excitement over our existence. Isn't there this desire to be a part of something supernatural like the things that we read in Scripture where you know the Holy Spirit is leading and creating this unity in the midst of all these followers of Jesus going through stuff? Where we actually start to see ourselves as family, as connected And not just, hey, I'll see you next week because you go to the same place I do. I think it's something we all want. But man, we have to to believe it. And we have to live like we believe it. Trusting God and following the Spirit towards towards this kind of life that Jesus offers. We have to, to pray like we believe it. What would the church look like what would our church, what would our youth group look like today if we really stopped taking control of it, control of ourselves, and just let the Holy Spirit lead? What would your life look like if you let the Holy Spirit just lead and you surrendered control? This may be what we want for sure this is what the world needs to see is the spirit-led church the spirit-led believer a holy spirit-led person so father god just as we're about to enter a time of of discussion just kind of guide us you know in the short time that we have just to reflect on where we stand with the spirit and kind of what it means to be spirit-led, for us to take that step and submit to the spirit that you've given us because of Jesus. If we follow Jesus, if we are a believer and, and we have surrendered to Jesus, then you've given us that spirit of power. So God, how can we walk in that power? Help us guide us to those first steps or those continued steps of walking and stepping with the spirit so that that spirit of power can overcome the things that we deal with, the struggles that we meet, and that it can display an incredible unity and, 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 and love and, and wisdom to this world that needs to see that. God, just thank you for your spirit. 